welcome to Bourbon and History. Topics in History number two, Washington, D.C. There has been a lot of discussion lately about making Washington, D.C. a state, and depending on which side you fall on the issue, you are either extremely against it or extremely for it. But a lot of people don't really know why Washington, D.C. is the way it is. Why is it just a separated plot of land, not part of any state? And if it's not a state and not a territory, then what is it? And if it's not a state, then why does it get three electoral votes in presidential elections? So let's talk about our nation's capital and why it is the way it is. As is usually the case in this podcast, to find the answer to a present-day issue, we first have to travel way back to the 1700s, 1788 to be exact. That year, the ratification debates were raging across the country, as men like Alexander Hamilton and James Madison continued to urge states to ratify the new constitution they had just helped create the previous summer in Philadelphia. To help garner support for the new national charter, Hamilton, Madison, and John Jay began publishing a series of articles meant to provide more information to everyday Americans in hopes it would galvanize support for ratification. In January 1788, Madison published Federalist Number 43, in which he laid out his vision for what would eventually become the nation's capital city. After touching upon the national government's exclusive jurisdiction over patent and copyright laws, Madison stated the new national government should also have exclusive jurisdiction over a new national capital. This new national capital would be created through the ceding of land by these states and made into a federal district, where the federal government would have direct authority. Madison argued that by placing the national capital within its own distinctive district, it would be able to provide for its own safety and maintenance, and not be beholden to or under the influence of any state. And safety was a very real concern for members of Congress, because back in 1783, in what became known as the Pennsylvania Mutiny of 1783, a band of unpaid soldiers from the Continental Army had actually attempted to march on Congress while they were in session, and the Pennsylvania State Assembly had done little to protect them. In June 1788, the new Constitution was officially ratified and became the law of the land. The new Congress, which had moved to New York City, which was serving as the nation's temporary capital, now had to figure out where a new permanent capital would be placed. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the new Constitution permitted Congress to establish a district, not to exceed 10 miles, that would serve as the seat of government for the United States. The only question was, where would this new district be? But choosing the location of the new capital would become a major dilemma. By the summer of 1790, Congress was in a deadlock, with Northerners wanting the capital to remain in the North and Southerners wanting it to be located in the South, preferably between Maryland and Virginia. And it's during this impasse that Thomas Jefferson, then serving as George Washington's Secretary of State, decided to hold a secret meeting with his colleague, the Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, and James Madison, who was serving in Congress. Hamilton was waging his own battle with Congress over his Assumption Bill, which proposed that the federal treasury take over and pay off the debt of the states incurred to pay for the Revolutionary War. But this proposal by Hamilton scared a large number of small government-minded members of Congress, including James Madison, who feared that the assumption of all state debt by the federal treasury 
consolidated too much power in the national government. So, with both plans stalled in Congress, the three men came together at Jefferson's home in New York City on the night of June 20th, 1790, to resolve both crises. Unfortunately, most of what transpired that evening has been lost to history, but we do know from a description of the meeting given by Jefferson later on that the three men came to an agreement. Madison agreed he would not actively campaign against Hamilton's assumption bill in the House, nor agitate Southern opinion against it. Essentially, Madison would leave the bill to its own fate and not rally Southerners against it. In exchange, Hamilton would stand behind a bill placing the new capital city along the Potomac River, which would appease Southerners. The Compromise of 1790 resulted in passage of the Residency Act of 1790, which approved the creation of a national capital on the Potomac River, with the exact location to be selected by, who else? President George Washington. As part of the new act, Maryland and Virginia agreed to donate land to form the new 10-mile square district, which would eventually encompass the settlement of Georgetown in Maryland and the town of Alexandria in Virginia. And in keeping with Madison's argument from Federalist 43, keep the new district separate and distinct from the rest of the states. Beginning in 1791, a surveying team under the direction of Andrew Ellicott began surveying the borders of the new federal district and placed boundary stones at every mile point, many of which remain to this day. Following this, actual construction of the city began along the north bank of the Potomac, and on September 9, 1791, the three commissioners overseeing the capital's construction named the city in honor of President Washington. The new district the city of Washington would be placed within was named Columbia, a feminine form of Columbus, which was a poetic name for the United States commonly used during the period and is still seen today. You know, the lady holding a torch in the Columbia Pictures logo? That is Lady Columbia. The man chosen to design America's new capital city in 1791 was Pierre-Charles Lafont. Lafont envisioned the new U.S. capital to be reminiscent of his native Paris, a modern city composed of grand boulevards and ceremonial spaces and parks, all arranged in a grid system, at which the center would be the Capitol building. Streets traveling from east to west would be named with letters, while streets traveling north to south would be labeled with numbers, and the boulevards would be named after the states of the Union. The Capitol building would be placed atop Jenkins Hill, later renamed Capitol Hill, while the President's Palace would be situated on a ridge parallel to Pennsylvania Avenue and a riverfront marsh and canal called the Tiber Canal after the Great Roman River that was later filled in to create the Lincoln Memorial. Finally, Lafont planned to create a garden-lined Grand Avenue, which would extend for about a mile from the Capitol building. The avenue would eventually become the National Mall, while Lafont's Grand Avenue extending from the Capitol building to the President's House would become Pennsylvania Avenue. Construction of the new city would take place for the better part of 10 years, with the President's House, a.k.a. the White House, being mostly completed and ready for occupancy in late 1800, meaning despite selecting the site and overseeing development of the city that bears his name, George Washington never actually saw the city's completion. President John Adams would become the first president to live in the White House, making Washington the only president in U.S. history not to reside in the executive mansion.
On November 17, 1800, the U.S. Congress held its first session in the new capital city, meeting inside the still-unfinished Capitol building. And in February 1801, Congress passed the District of Columbia Organic Act of 1801, placing the District of Columbia and subsequently the city of Washington under the control of Congress. This meant that citizens living within the newly formed district were henceforth no longer residents of a state. Since 1800, Washington, D.C. has served as the nation's capital and the seat of government, with only one interruption in 1814 when British troops burned the city to the ground during the War of 1812. In 1847, through a process known as retrocession, the city of Alexandria was returned to the state of Virginia, mostly due to fears by the residents of the city that Congress would outlaw slavery in the District of Columbia, which they did in 1850. During the Civil War, the city became a fortress, surrounded by Union soldiers, artillery entrenchments, and forts. With the emancipation of all slaves within the district on April 16, 1862, the city also became a hub for newly freed African Americans. Following the war, the city officially absorbed Georgetown and the surrounding rural areas to the north, creating suburbs within the district for the first time. Under President Grant, the dirt roads were paved and sanitation was introduced. Swamps were drained, no pun intended, and the old canals were covered up to expand the National Mall farther west. In response to the decline of many of the city's parks and buildings by the early 20th century, Congress enacted the Macmillan Plan, which set out to fully realize LaFont's grand vision for the nation's capital. The plan included a complete redesign for the National Mall, which would now be dotted with museums, monuments, and gardens, as well as the re-landscaping of the Capitol grounds. Slums were cleared out and the new citywide park system was established, giving Washington much of its modern-day appearance. In 1961, the District of Columbia was allotted three electoral votes, the minimum amount of electoral votes allotted to a state, though residents were still not given voting representation in Congress. In 1973, Congress enacted the District of Columbia Home Rule Act, which provided for an elected mayor and 13-member city council for the district. And that's where Washington stands today. Three electoral votes, but not a state. An elected mayor and city council, but no governor, no senators, and no voting members of Congress. Proponents of statehood argue that a city consisting of well over half a million people, which dwarfs several entire states, should be given statehood status and allotted full voting representation in Congress. Critics point to the Constitution's clause establishing a separate district for the nation's capital, as well as Madison's argument in Federalist 43 that advocates for a capital city not under the jurisdiction of any one state, and therefore not beholden to that state for protection and maintenance. But regardless of Washington, D.C.'s future status as a district or a state, the city still serves as the pinnacle of modern-day America, a capital city that, like the country it represents, has undergone numerous changes and growing pains throughout the last two centuries, but now stands as a beacon enshrining through monuments the numerous men, women, leaders, and patriots of the country's past, and serving as a living museum to the nation's accomplishments and victories. After 200 years, Washington, D.C. stands as a tribute to LaFont's grand vision, serving as not just the capital of a nation, but as the capital of the free world.
Now, before I leave you for the Christmas holiday, I want to give a quick programming overview of what the next few months will look like here on the podcast. When I return after the new year, we will get back to the presidential ranking series with number 14 on my list. And the final 14 episodes of that series will take us well into the new year, as I expect to finish up with our nation's presidents by early March, with a few more topics and history episodes mixed in as well. Once we've concluded with the presidential ranking series, I will be taking a few weeks off to work on Volume 2 of An Alternate History of the United States, and to begin preparing for the next series on the podcast, Americans at War, where I will begin with the War for Independence and continue straight up to the present War on Terror. And the War series will be structured a little different than the Presidential Ranking series. Each war will be its own season, with a varying amount of episodes depending on how large the war was. For example, the War for Independence will likely come out to 8-10 to episodes, because it was a long war with many people and events involved. Whereas the Spanish-American War, which lasted three months, will likely only be two to three episodes. And so, I bid you adieu for 2021. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas, and I will see you again in 2022.